Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, we are spoiling our listeners this week. Spoiling them. Not only have we got a book out, which we sweated blood and tears for, but we've got an extra pod. We've got an interview. It's involved less blood and tears, I have to say, but it was still very good fun to do. But we thought before we do the interview, Kieran, how are you? In the in the few moments since we last spoke, I'm I'm still in one piece, which is a positive. Unlike our recording of the of yesterday's show, which uh, producer guy will have to use all of his Spielberg esque uh, editing skills with, with a few uh, with a few technical okay pars. Yeah, well, luckily the um, we didn't have the technical issues with our interview. Uh, as we spoke to two people, we spoke to Dr. Mark Middling, who's the senior lecturer in accounting at Northumbria University, who has produced a new framework for annual reporting of football club finances and other indicators for football fans, specifically aimed at the fans of that club. And we also spoke to the chair of the Supporters Trust at Exeter City, Nick Hawker, and Exeter City are a club that have um, closely worked with Mark Middling in developing that new framework and have used it to communicate indications of success uh, to their own fans. And this is what they had to say. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, chaps. It's a pleasure to talk to you both. Um, before we talk to Mark about his... Um, his brand new way of reporting finances, which I'm looking forward to hearing all about. Nick, it's a it's a big anniversary year for you, isn't it? It is. 20 years of trust ownership, uh, supporter ownership. Um, re- really, really proud of it. Really proud that we've been able to sustain the ethos of supporter ownership for all, all that time. It's it's not always easy in the in the football world, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. But but really proud of it. Celebrating hard. Um, meeting lots of uh, old friends, lots of new friends. It's a, it's a great feeling, and and the club generally are, are, are celebrating it um, every home game. So it's a great great time to be an Exeter City supporter. Yeah, and a bit of a cup run going on as well. Yep, we could do with echoing that in the league at the moment. Um, but yeah, a good good cup run. Looking forward to Middlesbrough in a couple of weeks. Um, See what we see what we can do. Would have would have liked one of the big boys, but I'm sure. Ooh, hope Middlesbrough fans don't mind me saying that. Oh, they will. They will. Uh, they, they 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 will. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll be very welcome at St James Park, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we look forward to seeing them. Well, annoyingly, they've just started playing a bit of good football as well, haven't they? Indeed. Yeah. I, I, yes, I know. Just just as our form seems to be dropping off a little bit, they they seem to be picking up. But the cup's always a great equaliser, isn't it? Yeah, well, Nick, we'll be talking to you um, throughout the interview um, from a club's uh, perspective on what Mark has to offer. But, Mark, my first question to you is a a big one. You've devised an annual reporting system for the finances of a football club aimed at fans. Um, The simple question is, why have you done this? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I've been a a big fan of the pod since it started four years ago. Um, So... 
while I've done this, I suppose there's sort of two answers to that question, really. I suppose one is sort of my personal journey and then the other is sort of the academic and sort of industry justification of, of sort of why it's 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 required, in my opinion. Um, so my personal journey, I joined the university in sort of 2015. Um, I'd been an accountant in industry for, for 10 years at that point, and I was getting a bit bored with having to work too hard. And uh, the university gave me a nice, a nice route out into into something new. And uh, I thought, you know, well, after a couple of years, I'll you know move away from accounting and start teaching something else. But uh, when I joined, they said I could I could do a doctorate. Fantastic! Always wanted to do one of those. They said I could do it in any subject I want. Fantastic! That sounds great. And they said as long as it's got to do with accounting. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay, how do I make this interesting? So it was during the uh, England-Wales game of 2016 Euros, if oh you remember God. that far back. And uh, I was having a oh pint God. over the second half with my... Uh, with my with the ex dean um, of the of of the school back then, and he sort of said, "Oh, you know, you need to find a way to make accounting interesting. You know, why don't you go and uh, you know research how they how they do accounting, you know, at drug cartels or something like this?" And sort of not wanting to end up in a ditch somewhere, I thought, "Well, that's not probably going to be the best idea." But uh, it was a few months later. I was in the library, and I I um, just caught a glimpse of a book by a guy who's become a bit of a hero of 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 mine, a guy called Stephen Morrow from, from Stirling University, who's been writing about accounting and football for, for you know, his, his first book was published in back in, in 1999. And, and he actually ended up being my examiner on my doctorate as, as well. But I, I, I saw this book and I took it out of the library and I, I read it cover to cover over the weekend and that was it. I was absolutely hooked. Um, so that's kind of what got me into, into sort of football finance as a, as a sort of a research um, in 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 interest, um, and then you sort of come to the kind of the sort of industry and, and sort of academic justification of 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 why why a report like like this. And the question I always ask people is, you know, which stakeholder group should clubs be primarily accountable to? And the answer I always get back is fans. But you know, why why is that? And um, but you look at you look at how reports are done at the moment. Um, and again, Stephen Murray wrote another paper back in 2013, basically saying that you know current reporting mechanisms aren't fit for purpose. They're they're designed with shareholders as their primary audience, and the International Accounting Standards Board and the um, International in, um, Integrated Reporting Council both kind of have their focus of shareholders being the primary audience. You know, they're supposed to be used by by other people, but the primary audience is stakeholders. So they're kind of institutionalized into the the account the accountability requirements of sort of shareholders and 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 lenders. And what Morrow claimed was, well, if you look at owners of football clubs, it tends to be one person or a very concentrated ownership model. So the owners probably aren't using the the annual reports from the football club. And then you look at sort of lenders and things. Well, when MSD Holdings loan to West Brom, I'm pretty sure they're looking at a bit more than than just a financial report. So they're probably not using them that much as well. They've probably you know gone into the club and looked at looked at more detail. So the people that are using them are fans. You know, it's it's, it's really just fans who are trying to get a bit more information about their club. Excuse me. <clears throat> and the you sort of think, well, you know, everything you've been talking about for the past. You know, for years, everything in the fan-led review, you know, points that, you know, fans need more accountability from their football clubs. There's a great 
quote from from Michael Wynne Jones, the, the the joint owner of uh, Norwich City, that we are the stewards of the club, not the owners. The club belongs to the supporters. Well, if that's the case, then the accountability needs to uh, align with that. So there's a kind of the the moral argument, if you like, that supporters are emotionally invested in their club, sort of more so than they are economically in, invested. And then you've got a power argument there too. So if you think about a football club, football clubs aren't trying to sell the sort of exactly the same product to the same people at the same time. So the sort of, you know, the the, the you know the idea of this sort of um, competition, um, uh, you end up with sort of ninety-two local monopolies on the landscape, and that creates sort of a bit of a power imbalance between sort of owners of the club and and the supporters of the club. And in those instances, <clears throat> in monopolistic instances that's where accountability comes into its own you know in in terms of um narrowing that power in 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 balance so i sort of i sort of started to put all this together and i thought well what you know what would it look like if we if we if we reported to supporters you know because as as you guys know um you know supporters have never needed more accountability from 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 their clubs, you know, with the amount of sort of rogue owners, as you guys call them around at the moment, you know, just to quote Kieran from a few weeks ago, you know, there's fans of every club that want to hold those owners to account. And one way of protecting them is with greater transparency. I was actually a little bit disappointed with the fan-led review that it sort of glossed over increased transparency as a as a sort of way of improving the industry. You know, one of the favourite quotes from my doctorate is nobody likes reporting what, what makes them look bad. So if we increase transparency, we should increase club governance and see better behaviour from club own, uh, owners. That's the premise behind it, if you like. So there's your very long-winded answer. <laughs> That's, uh, it's very interesting. I, I've I've seen enough films, Mark, as well, for me to assume that when you said you, you came across a book by your accountancy hero, Kieran was going to have to do a bit of <laughs> modest blushing. Yeah, but it turns out to be someone called Stephen Morrow, whose name will crop up on every podcast we do from now on. Is, is the idea... Um, Kieran's Mark, a very close second. Is your, <laughs> of, of, Kieran's a close second to nobody. Look at his... <laughs> is the idea, Mark, that your reports will replace the existing style or will or, or complement them? It's absolutely to, to, to complement. So it'd be a, a, a monumental effort to try and change the Companies Act to try and you know get companies house to to or or you know the the government effect effectively the companies act as well to to you know to change that in order to introduce a new form of reporting for effectively just just 92 companies would be a a a, monual, a, a monumental effort and, and and perhaps a bit disproportionate so the idea here is to sort of complement what's already out there try and put it across in a more friendly way so more supporters can un, un, understand it um so i sort of propose this idea of a supporter focus report as part of a, a licensing agreement um that will be sort of aimed at fans in a way that they can understand and you know be available in a place that they can understand you know a couple of clicks on the club website for example rather than having to sort of go to company's house and, and troll through to find you know the required documents in the course of research into something else Mark, i spoke to at least one club owner about the idea of um, fans being able to access uh, the accounts, being able to understand the annual accounts of a club. 
Um, and he was horrified at, at what he called fans having access to commercially sensitive information. So what do you say to a, a club owner like that? Well, I, I hear this a lot, Kevin. And um, a lot of owners tend to come from, you know, tend to be very successful business people coming from, you know, a very sort of capitalist world where information means commercial advantage, uh, particularly those who may not have been, you know, football fans or, 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 or you know, know um, intimately the kind of culture around football. And as I say, fo- football's different. You know, it is it is a different um, a different beast to commercial or organisations. Um, and cl- as I say, clubs aren't trying to sell the same product to the same people at the same time. You know, there's there's effectively you know the local monopolies in play. So it's it's not the same kind of thing, really, as as it as, it, as for most commercial organisations. Um, yes, they complete to sign sign players. So where they don't sort of compete to you know they don't compete to sell the same burger to the same people at the same time. They do compete to sign sign players. So I can understand that there is an element of confidentiality there. But at the same time, if everybody reported, everyone would be in 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 the same boat. You know, so for for every bit of information one club would give out, they'd get it back ninety one times. You know, if we're just going down to the bottom of league two. Um, and I'm told by pretty reliable sources that that there's information sharing going on anyway. So for a start, there's a, a report I'm told that goes out at the start of the year that every club gets that shows the playing budget of every club in their league. Now I know the clubs aren't named on that report, but it, you know it, it it doesn't take a you know a, um, a rocket science to work out that the Exeter don't have the biggest playing budget in League One, for example. And I'm also told that you know, round a you know, round the bar at the end of a uh, you know, at the end of an, an EFL conference or something, you know, directors talk. Um, so, you know, this idea of confidentiality, I didn't really buy it, and the participants in my research didn't either. <clears throat> it's not just finance in your in your um, report, in the framework for reporting stuff, and we'll come on to that later on, but. Um, as well as how you went about developing the idea. But I want to bring you in, Nick, here, first of all, um, partly because I'd like your views on whether the, at the end of the day all you directors and support the chairman are getting together and accidentally getting drunk and telling each other information you wish you hadn't shared. But as as a fan-owned club, Nick, your accounts presumably are fully transparent anyway, but has Mark's work made that easier for you? Um, so Mark's work has made it easier in in so much that actually producing the document that that we eventually released was um, involved a great deal of work. And whether that was something that was on a particular priority list is is questionable. So we were really grateful to Mark's input into that. But I think as, as we keep talking about. Um, information and, and access to data it's it's that accessibility that's really important so it's not just about the report it's being able to come and talk to us um, whether you want to talk to the chairman whether you want to talk to the ceo um, having those points of access we're a supporter own club they are our shareholders and so we shouldn't be keeping anything from them and it's the the, the, the words that i like to repeat frequently is that as owners, our supporters have to feel like they own the club. It's no good just saying they do. 
and and some, something on company's house. And I would also expand that and say it's not just the members of the trust, it's the supporters uh, who perhaps choose not to be members, but also the community around it all have an interest in the football club, whether you come to the games or not. They all have an interest in the activities we engage in and the way we go about our, our, our business. So it's important to us that we're good citizens and that we're accessible. And whether that's accessible to finance or whether that's accessible to um, just just coming and having a, a, a chat about why why are we building something, why aren't why or why aren't we building something? It's that accessibility so that supporters can feel that we've fully engaged with them. Kieran, I'd like to bring you in here too as well with um, on on two points, and they both relate to the, the the club owners I spoke to, who were owners of Premier League clubs. Both of them, I have to say, would. Despite we're, we're very pro transparency, obviously in this pod, but would you expect this model to meet more resistance from clubs the higher up the league you go? Is one question, and secondly, one of the club owners I spoke to said it's 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 all very well giving fans access to data and information, but then they need help interpreting them, which which I thought was slightly patronising. But I understand where he's coming from. That if you're you know not everybody in a supporters trust or not every fan of the club has the same level of accountancy knowledge that you have or has somebody like you that they can fall back on. So I'd like your, your view on both those points. My view is, is it's the lower league clubs who are most at risk at present. Oh, if, okay. if, you, if you look at what we've been covering, as far as the podcast is concerned, it's been Scunthorpe, it's been Southend United. Um, you know, there are issues at the lower. The, the bigger clubs tend to produce a lot of information anyway because they it's the it's the smaller ones who who sort of fall between fall between the traps because they can use legislation as a way of circum circumventing their responsibilities at times. And I understand where they're coming from. If if the other clubs aren't doing it, why should we? So I I get that, but I don't agree with it. Um, in in respect of the second question, yeah, I I think there is a case for for, for that to be. Uh, held correct. If somebody gives me a piano player, it doesn't make. Oh, sorry. If somebody gives me a piano, it doesn't make me a piano player. It's always been my argument. So, just just putting out loads of data. And also, let's be honest. The vast majority of fans couldn't give a hoot. You know, we 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 go, we go to football on a Saturday afternoon to forget about politics, to forget about the day to day drudgery, and yeah, having having to to trawl through the finances is is, is surely somebody else's problem. Um, but there's there's enough people at every at every club that can explain the stuff. So you know, there, there's fan forums, there's there's fan podcasts. Um, you know, I, I go on plenty of shows, and other people do so as well. So if if you want to find out, um, I, I I don't see that being a problem. And, and if if somebody comes out with a load of garbage. Um, as they have been doing in the last 24 hours on social media. There's there's nerds there that will put them down. Yeah, I'm going to take issue with you there, Maguire, on one thing, because it's thanks to you that perfectly ordinary, normal football fans who three years ago, as you say, didn't give a toss about football finance are now really worried about it all and are ruining my enjoyment on a Saturday afternoon by asking me questions I haven't got... A- first clue about which to answer. Um, Mark, once you came up with this splendid idea, how did you go about developing it? So I basically started by um, approaching um, support choice and trying to get a fan's idea of um, 
you know, what what they wanted to see reported, what was important to them. Um, and this was the idea of sort of the four areas of the report came from, the finance, the governance, the social and the sporting factors were sort of the, you know, that's what fans were basically telling me that they wanted to see. And um, eventually I met a guy called Ashley Brown from the FSA, who's, uh, whose job title I think is fantastic, Head of Governance and Supporter Engagement. Now, you probably, in any other company, you probably wouldn't put governance and, and sort of customer engagement, if like it's a dirty word, I know, but you wouldn't put those two together in kind of a normal commercial organisation. But in football, it feels right that they go together. And we had this idea of putting a, a sort of a, a focus group together, a, a, a panel um, of sort of experts in inverted commas, and um, and and that's what we did. And we had uh, some representatives from the FSA. We had people from Collal, Cambridge, Scunthorpe, Pompey, and some other support trusts as as well. And it was really important to have a mixture of people that understood accounting and people that didn't understand a, a, accounting. That was absolutely crucial, for, you know, for 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 exactly what you've just been saying. Yes, there are people out there who who understand accounting, but for those that don't. You know the information can be a bit of a you know a bit 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 mind boggling. Um, some of the terminology, for example, can be uh, can be difficult to get your head around. You know the the difference between profit and cash and how that all works can be a difficult concept to get your head around. So it was really important that you know the accountants were there to make sure that the report tied back to the statutory account. You know, if it doesn't tie back, if you, if, don't, if it doesn't represent the same numbers, then it's obviously going to be gibberish. But also, you know, it needs to make sense to 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 people who, who don't necessarily have a, you know, a trained financial background. And that was one of the really important things, trying to make this more visible and more accessible to more fans. And I agree with Kieran, not everyone's going to be interested in this. Totally get that. You know, my dad, my brother are both football fans and they they don't give a damn about this kind of thing. But the more transparent and accountable we can make this, the sort of better contribution um, it can make to sort of improving club governance. Um, One participant um, in particular uh, was very keen to sort of have infographics um, in the report to make it sort of more visually representative and more more visually appealing. so yeah, so that that kind of thing, that sort of new, new approach that sort of covers everything, but does it in a sort of more fan friendly way, was kind of where we're coming out here. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion. You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I'm really interested in the idea that you worked with people with accounting knowledge and people with no accounting knowledge at all. And in terms of, of producing a framework that was accessible and simple to follow, did you learn more from the non-accounting people than perhaps from the accounting people? Um, I wouldn't say I learned more from either group. Um, I think I learned more from the interactions between them. So when some of the accountants were having a discussion and then one of the uh, well, one of the, the, the non-accountants is, <laughs> sorry, folks, but I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Can you put that in English, please? You know, that sort of helped us to come back to the, um, you know, the idea that, okay, how, how do we uh, not simplify it? That'd be the wrong way, you know, the wrong word, but put it across in a way that, that is a bit more understandable. Yeah. I'll tell you what annoys me, Mark, acronyms. I'm a, a trustee of the Crystal Palace Foundation, and we meet four times a year. And most of the other people there have a background in, in local government or in charity work. And they bandy about acronyms. And I constantly have to say, what does that mean? And to, to the extent that they've now done me a little cheat that I bring to meetings with me, so I don't keep having to say what. <laughs> but it's but again, it's just a simple example of how some people could immediately be deterred by being confronted with information, numbers, and, and acronyms that they don't understand. So it's vitally important that if we do this, every fan has accessibility to it. Or as Nick says, every fan is able to come into the club and say, I, "I'm really interested in this, but can you tell me what that?" what that means, what that difference between profit and cash means. I will come back to Nick again in a moment, but we, you mentioned, Mark, that there are, it's not just finance um, that makes up the framework. There are four separate areas. So other than finance, can you run us through the, the, the three other areas? Sure. So there's also governance, um, social aspects, and sporting aspects. As I say, they were the, they were the aspects that the, that the participants came up with. Um, I mean, even from a finance perspective, as I say, we're trying to put it across in a more easily digestible way. We've came, we've come up with a new P&L format, a profit and loss statement format to avoid any acronyms. Um, Thank you. That sort of <laughs> to sort of show the difference between um, sort of as much as you can in football have reliable income and, and what is kind of the, the football fortune income. So what is the underlying performance of the club and what are we, we relying on getting to the semi-finals of the FA Cup, for example. And, you know, that also shows underlying profit before um, player trading, after player trading, so really highlighting the difference that that makes. I know that's key to Exeter's strategy. There's more detail on debt. We've got this idea of key assets. So for a football club, the stadium and, and the football ground, um, and anything else that's absolutely critical to a match taking place at three o'clock will be considered a key asset. So we've split those out and talked about those a bit more. There's a bigger focus on cash, which I think Kieran will like. I know he's, he's very keen on, on, on cash rather than profit measures. From a governance perspective, we talk more about ownership and, and boards, how decision-making processes occur, do our fans involved? 
uh, risk and, and more importantly, mitigations that the club is taking to risks, a group structure diagram. So trying to trying to work out the group structure of a football club these days can be difficult. So I know at Newcastle, uh, Manchester United, even at Barry when they had their 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 unfortunate troubles there, it was quite difficult to work out what was actually going on within the group, trying to follow it all back on company's house. There's a business plan as well, so look to the future, not just the past. And then we've got social uh, factors, so how involved is the club in the community, what's been going on there, what are the equity, diversity and inclusion um, uh, um, aspects that the club is getting on with, both within its staff and within its supporter base, What's the club doing for non-playing staff, for volunteers? And then we come on to probably the bit that most fans will go on to first, which is the sporting aspect. So there's a, a bit of analysis of the first team linking kind of the money aspect to the on-pitch as- aspect, which is kind of a bit of a crux of all this. Um, we talk about players' wages and the budget, but we don't do it individually. You know, I agree with the views of this podcast that, you know, we shouldn't be talking about individual s- salaries, but, but you know, it, we are, you know, you clubs are able to talk about the total budget. Um, when contracts expire too, I always see the biggest problem in football is is this of the hidden cost, the hidden committed cost of player contracts going forward. Um, so looking at, you know, we don't don't explicitly sort of say how much that is, but we, we sort of show when contracts expire and this kind of thing, just to help help fans to get an understanding of the kind of uh, risk that the club is 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 under from that perspective. Reconciliations to FFP and SCMP, and then sections on the manager, the women's team, um, and the academy, particularly around the academy as well. What 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 sort of welfare arrangements are, are in in place, you know, in light of some of the pretty unsavoury um, news stories that we've seen over the past sort of four or five years. Um, of course, all that's quite heavy. So it's topped with a key facts document. So the first five or six pages is, you know, key facts from each of the areas. Um, so, so you can just get a very good idea quite quickly um, and then go into the detail if you want to see it. And it's tailed with a glossary of terms to try and avoid all of those. So, you know, well, to... To help fans to understand those sort of um, terms that we can't get away with. So, for example, it, it uh, explains exactly what amortisation is back in the glossary there. Uh, Nick, I'd like to bring you in again here. And um, I, I have a terrible habit of asking guests uh, more than one question at a time. I, I find it keeps them on their toes, Nick. I find it keeps them involved. Um, so I've got two questions for you. First of all, I know you and Mark um, have been working together on the way X to produce their their annual report. I'd, I'd like to know how you and Mark got together and why you were so keen for X to, to be involved. But secondly, there was a brilliant piece about your club in The Guardian a few weeks ago, um, marking the anniversary. Um, and there was a quote in there from you, which I thought was fantastic. And you said, we need to change the way that success is judged particularly outside the, the, the top leagues. Right? So I'd, I'd like your views on the fact that, that Mark's, I love Mark's idea and I, and I think it's brilliant that fans have access to these um, this information that they can interpret from, from. But at the same time, it seems to me that, that, that we do lack that certain something to indicate how you're doing in the community, how you're making people feel on a Saturday afternoon. You can't really put that in a report, can you, in any way? I think well, to, go, to, to go to your first question then, Mark, Mark and I met uh, quite late one evening at a, a Football Supporters <laughs> Association <laughs> awards dinner 
Um, and, and Mark was less than complimentary about our accounts. Oh, really? Really? Um, <laughs> I, I simply asked him and, and why, a suggest- supporter for, <laughs> why a supporter-owned club had such you know poor accountability in only producing um, in only producing small company accounts. Um, I might not I just, have been that polite I, about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just, there, there are so many ways to start a fight in a hotel. I mean, I'm from, an, <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from an Irish family. I know many ways to start a fight in a hotel late on a Friday night, but just coming up and saying, I don't like the way you do your accounts, mate. Oh, okay, we'll take this outside then, shall we? It, it was fine. Well, we didn't take it outside. We took it to the bar and, and, and we discussed it. And, and you know, look, we're always looking for ways. I said earlier about you know, how do the supporters feel like they own their club so we'll always look for ways uh through which we can demonstrate that and that's that's really important and um putting the report together isn't an easy task it isn't quick and so when mark offered to help then i was bit his hand off really really grateful to him Uh, we had a fantastic forum We, we put the report together and then we presented it in 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 one of our suites um and 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 went down really really well when you say that supporters don't don't care about the finances, I think that's broadly true. But what they care about is, are we still going to be here next year? Because mm. twenty years ago we weren't going to be. Yeah, and and so that's the reassurance that we we should always be seeking to give uh, supporters. And you, you know, cash is king, and we need to be able to demonstrate that for the next three to five years. Um, Exeter City is still going to be playing football at St James Park, so that that's the really what we're trying to to achieve here. The second part of your question about measuring success, only only three teams get promoted. How how does every other team feel? Is that season being a waste of time because you didn't quite make it? So you don't want to. You want to have something that you can grab hold of and celebrate and say, do you know what? We might not have been in the top three, but we've done some great stuff in the community. We've done some great stuff at the academy. We've done some great stuff around the ground. We've invested in in uh, facilities rather than a centre forward who was going to help us get to that top three and then breaks their leg after the first game. It, it's... It's finding those things that I think are special to the to supporters. You know, they know that uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on around the club, and they feel involved in it, and they feel engaged, and and the community reflects on that as well. Um, that's success. It's not. We all want to be promoted. We know that's why we go on the pitch on a Saturday, and and for some people, it will always be about how you feel at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but but you're going to you're going to spend a lot of time being disappointed, I think, unless you can find those other things. We keep hearing it, don't we, from the EFL, from the FA. Football has a great capacity to do good, so let's celebrate that when there isn't, you know, when when what's happening on the pitch might not be quite as as successful as you would like it to be. The trouble is, though, Nick, it's harder to quantify that sort of heart-raising, soul-lifting things that you're, you know, I'm I'm extremely proud of my football club and my small part in it, but it's hard to put that down on a a balance sheet at the end of the year, isn't it? So you have to find other ways of sharing with the fans what a brilliant job your club is doing in the the community, because you can't always physically show it either, can you? 
You can't always, but but I think you can make people aware of what's happening. And, and, and this, we, we shouldn't get hung up on a once a year uh, report. Yeah, yeah. It's something that you do week in, week out, where you, you're saying, um, look, look at look look at what we've done for this charity. Look at what we've done for this part of the community. Look at what we've done for grassroots football. Look at what we've done. We're doing this all the time. And and I think our media team. Are, do a really good job of demonstrating that we're constantly at it. There's a football match to be played. We know how important that is, but there is all this other stuff. And as, as Mark said in, in his report, we can bring all of that together over a few pages. But football clubs shouldn't just be focused on on what happens on a Saturday. You know, it's, it's about what's happening in the community and how we interact with it. Yeah, and let's be fair to your media team, like any other media team, would rather be sending TikTok pictures of the players playing rock, paper, scissors. Telling people that seems to be most, most. I'm not sure I need another tweet of our players playing rock, paper, scissors, to be perfectly honest. Two questions for you, Mark, to end with. Um, if, for example, the, the owners of, of Tranmere are, are listening to this or the owners of Southampton, are you able to um, tailor your framework specifically to to different clubs or is it a, a kind of it sounds a bit of a negative thing but it's not, I don't mean it to be a one size fits all is it is it the sort of thing that you can take off the shelf at any club and start to use straight away I'd like to think it is um I mean it's the 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 idea of the report came about by trying to you know elicit better beho- better behaviors from you know some 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 clubs who are who are privately owned, and that's what it was de- designed for, and that's the opposite to what Exeter are. You know, Exeter are on the best run clubs in the league, and they're supporter owned, not privately owned. And it was it was sufficiently you know e- easy to to sort of take the format that was designed for one thing and apply it to to the other. So I'd like to think it's sort of flexible enough um, to to sort of be adapted to you know all clubs nuances without too much tailoring um that said you know there's key things that you want to keep in but i'd be more than happy for for clubs to play around with it and make it their own one of the things i said to nick all the way through was you know make this your report this is i want this to be extra's report not not my report um and yeah so but that that said you, you, you know the the format seemed to work so so yeah and um I've got one final question for you, Mark, and then I want to give the last word to Nick, because I think the owner of a not the owner, the trustee of a fan-owned club should get the last word in a situation like this. But Mark, for you, are you optimistic that in a decade or so, fans will be looking forward to their annual middling report that they'll be they'll be sitting by the laptop going, "Here it comes, it's due out any minute now." Here it is. It's here, like the way the way Kieran camps outside Company's house in a rather creepy manner. <laughs> Do you think fans will be going, "Here it is"? Is the real truth. Well, that just makes me realise how bad my surname is. But um, wouldn't it it's be lovely, surname. Kevin? Wouldn't <laughs> listen, listen, my, my, my nickname at school was Middle. Uh, my, <laughs> my nickname at school was Middle Kev because there was a big Kev and a little Kev. So I, I, I know your pain, my friend. But it's a Mark, Doctor Mark Midling. That's a great. That's a Roald Dahl character. That that's a great name. <laughs> Well, would, <laughs> thanks, Kevin. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be lovely if uh, if every club were to were to do this? Um, I've spoken to a few more club owners, and I, you know, I'd love Mark Palios to be listening and thinking, yeah, yeah, this is great. It's Southampton's owners too, and and you know, I'd I'd love more clubs to get on board um, 
with this. It's part of Fair Games plans, um, you know, so they've got it sort of on on their agenda. Um, I'd love to see it introduced um, by a regulator under a, a licensing system. You know, the clubs have to produce something that's aimed at fans in a way that fans can can understand. And I don't know, people might be listening, thinking these are just utopian musings, but I would argue that's how all change starts. You know, a few years ago, it was a utopian musing to think we'd have a fan ledger view and a white paper and an imminent, you know, independent regulator of football. But look how far we've come. So, you know, let's think about how far we can go. And, and Nick, the reason I want to give you the last word is because I actually thought about you an extra earlier this week. Um, and without you criticising the actual club we want to talk about, when when the news broke that, that Birmingham had um, shamefully sacked their manager uh, with their club in sixth position because they know that Wayne Rooney is able to be coming. It it just struck me that that's the sort of thing your club wouldn't do because I've always been really impressed. Whenever I've listened to you speak, whenever I've read what you have to say about your responsibility as a club, about continuity, about sustainability, you wouldn't behave like that. You And you certainly wouldn't release a press release. Like that. And, I, and I think the game needs more people like you in it than it needs people like them in it, to be perfectly honest. Oh, well, that's right. yeah, but thank, th- thank you for saying that. Um, I, I, I think what we're very cognizant of is at, at Exeter, and if you, you think the big part of our business model and what makes us successful is, is the academy, and it's about developing young players. Um, it, but it doesn't have to stop at the academy. You develop everybody at the club. Uh, we know that we have um, limited resources, and, you know, and the resources we get from the academy ebbs and flows. So we've got to demonstrate a great deal of patience and allow players and allow managers to develop into the Exeter way. And that's what we call it. We call it the Exeter way. Um, so we're, 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 not, we're not in a hurry to um, dismiss managers when we lose a, a few games because we know we'll win a few games <laughs> eventually. Everybody at the club works really, really hard and we're all working for the same thing. And if, if I, I, after every game, a group of supporters stay behind and clear the stadium for us, they clear, go, go around the terraces, pick up all the litter. Um, if, if, I can, if we can communicate that back to the manager and say, look, we're all in this for you, we're all supporting you here, um, we're, we're all going to be really patient. Our, our, our manager made a comment, even when we're not, it's not going well at St James Park, you do not get booing. Mm. The players aren't booed, the managers aren't booed. That's because we're all in it together. It requires patience and an acceptance that it isn't always going to go our way, hence looking for different uh, opportunities to celebrate success. Uh, but when it does go away, you've really, really earned it, and yeah. that's really special. Yeah. Um, that's a lovely way to close the interview. Nick, wish you every success for the rest of the season. Mark, um, congratulations. I think it's a really good idea. And congratulations on um, your progress so far. Let's hope there's more progress to be had. Uh, Kieran, you, you're drifting off there. I can see it's, it's you've been up since half past five, obviously. So this is, well, you've been up for six hours. You want to do what I do, Kieran. Get up at the last minute and then you're full of energy for this sort of thing. Um, we have to, Mark and Nick, so yeah, we have to um, say goodbye now. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll, um, well, hopefully we'll catch up at the end of the season to see how things are going. That would be lovely. Thank you ever so much for having us on. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, pleasure. guys.
I realised, Kieran, in the, in the giddiness of, of having the book coming out this week, that was probably the worst introduction to any interview I've ever done. But it was a fascinating interview. There, there are two things I think that I took away from that, Kieran. First of all, um, I mean, transparency, it just seems the obvious way forward because it as a layman, it seems to me that the more transparent you are, the more able you are to head off potential problems. And if you if you explain or illustrate what's going on at your club to a wide range of people, one of them is going to pick up on any issues that may be arising, you would guess. Well, I, th- I think there is that. I think fans can be your sort of uh, Columbos and spot things that sometimes the directors themselves don't see. Um, but football club owners also take the view that I'm the person that's subsidising the club. It's up to me what I choose to show, and they're and they're quite they can be quite arsy um, in relation to to showing anything above the bare minimum. So I think what you've got to do, you've you've got to get a collective in. Everybody's got to go and buy into any change, and yes, there's a case for saying that if the independent regulator is going to uh, license football clubs and they're going to get financial benefits in terms of the money flowing from the Premier League and, and centralisation, then then those smaller clubs have to give out a bit more information. And I know that you know, probably 95% of fans couldn't give a stuff, couldn't give a stuff about any of this. They're, they're not going to read it. But if you've got a few at every club, then it, it, can't, it can't really do much harm unless they don't actually understand what they're talking about when when they draw their conclusions. But then there's always somebody that can put them them to rights. Yeah, I I was, I I really enjoyed the interview, Kieran, I have to say, and I was fascinated by Mark's reasons for doing it. And I, I, I I agree. I I really genuinely do hope that in years to come, people say it's, it's, it's middling time. It's time for that report, but there was something I, and I didn't get the chance completely down to my own fault because I got distracted because ever since you told us about the magpie emergency I've, I've seen magpies everywhere now and I got distracted I saw one in the garden and I panicked because I couldn't go outside and salute it and ask it not to bring bad luck but Mark was talking about the the importance of cash over profit and I, I'd wonder if you could elaborate on uh, the difference if you like yeah I mean you know my my background in bankrupt companies. Um, co- companies go bankrupt because they've not got enough cash to pay the bills. Now, what is profit? If, if you come to me as, as a client, I can say, well, I can make your profit high if you're trying to sell the company and you're trying to trying to flog it off for a, a good price. If you want to reduce your profits because you want to pay less in tax, there's various things we can do. So, so profit is something which can be massaged quite easily you know, to, to within certain parameters. The thing about cash, it's a bit like class. You've either got it or you haven't. And it, you know, it, so therefore, cash is far more objective. Um, so accountants can adjust profit. They find it far more difficult to adjust cash. Well, thank you for that, Kieran, and thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. But you also get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. That's very kind of us. 
And if you want to do all of that, you can go to patreon.com slash price of football to find out how. If you have a question you'd like answered on our regular Monday questions show, then you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And don't forget, there are two Price of Football live shows coming up, looming, looming on the horizon, I tell you. Uh, we'll be at the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October 22nd. There are still some tickets available, only some. And we'll be at the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. The same thing, still some tickets available, but only some. Although I suspect, Kieran, that everybody on the island of Jersey who wants to come may have booked their tickets already. So let's let, let's start appealing to people of Guernsey and Sark and start getting them <laughs> off. Get, Getting them, yeah, I appreciate it. it's probably quite a long way to go just for, to see two middle aged blokes prattling on about football finance, but we'd love to see you there. That's November the 7th. You can get your tickets, you can go to the websites of the venues or you can go to priceoffootball.com. Don't forget our new book, Unfit and Improper Persons An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club, is available from yesterday, from, as I believe lesser comics would say, all good bookshops and some rubbish ones as well. Um, we'll see you for our next questions pod. Um, bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Some football.